0: Hello friends of Soul Kitchen, thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Jasper Muzarts. I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach and wisdom seeker. With Soul Kitchen I interview people that inspire me, from TED speakers to social entrepreneurs, from activists to artists, from dreamers to seekers, from business people to spiritual teachers. With Soul Kitchen, I empower people to live their quest. And each episode contains a recipe for life. What is your quest? Welcome, friends, to a new episode of the Soul Kitchen. Today, I'm speaking with Helene uh, Spork, whom I met when I lived in Amsterdam. We used to organize dinners together for a community called Kula dinners for people from different backgrounds in which they share their dreams and desires and fears. And um, Helene has also been my uh, coach for a while, and she was the first person that explained me the difference between doing and being, and she's active in a wide range of, uh, of fields. Today we will talk about uh, the role of trauma in society, the difference between being and doing, and why... If we want more money, maybe we have less love. Topics uh, like this. Elaine, how are you uh, doing today?
1: Well, today is a real spring day in the Netherlands. So it was about 16 degrees outside. The sun was shining. The sky was blue. I have been singing uh, a spring song by Anouk all day.
0: Well, uh, in between that's... calls. <laughs> that's beautiful. I, uh,
1: that was really I like that.
0: Cool. I like Anouk, she's um, a Dutch singer, for those of you that don't know her. So I want to start with the topic, doing versus being, because um, at some point I worked with you as a coach. I, I think we did five se- sessions or six. and You explained me the difference between uh, being and doing. So why did you decide to tell me about it at that point? And, and why is it relevant for more people?
1: Um, Honestly, I don't recall why I decided to start with that topic with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second part of your question is...
0: Uh, Why why is it a relevant topic for people, doing versus being?
1: Hmm. Because I think that's the biggest step that you take in life. So, Mm. especially in Western society, we are raised in doing, doing, doing. Uh, so uh, I know about you, I don't know about me, that our parents really enjoyed it when we got graduated and when we looked successful, were successful, and that but they could tell all the stories. And uh, so that's what you are constantly pressed into. Uh, and I think if you... Uh, that it's necessary to have a period of life in which you are doing things. Um, but if you uh, keep doing it, the soul will die. So somewhere you have to jump into being and to be ready to to uh, ignore the expectations and the judgments of others and just follow your heart.
0: Can you explain why the soul will die if you uh, keep doing what it means when it happens?
1: Um, Well, let me compare it to, so suppose, Jasper, that you are in love with a girl. Mm -hmm. And uh, she doesn't know about it yet. (laughs) (laughs) But everywhere you, you, you see her going and then she keeps doing stupid things. She drinks too much. She doesn't pay attention to you. Um, uh, she gets happy when people um, uh, see that she's coming at home with a successful business guy. That is really awful. Uh, stuff like that. So one day you're like, okay, I'm done. I'll have somebody. I'll I'll choose somebody else. And I think that's exactly the same with the soul. Yeah. So I think the soul is, is is happy to wait for about 30 to max 40 years. <laughs> uh, and after that, uh, the soul just accepts that you chose an easy life and
0: mm-hmm.
1: kind of dies.
0: It kind of dies. And can you explain the step between doing and being what that entails or what that means maybe in, in real life?
2: Um,
1: Well, there are a lot of aspects to that uh, transformation. Um, I think the most visible one is that people um, change their job. And so I don't think it's, it's too nice to speak about other people. But if I talk for myself, I studied law, I studied psychology. I had a really cool job with a lease car and a big house and everything. But at 28, I realized uh, I didn't know that soul thing that I just said then because I was just working as a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I did realize that I would get a heart attack if I would keep doing that work. And, and the, the courage to go into what eventually becomes being, um, had to quit your job, To admit that you don't know what the future will look like.
0: Mm, That's a tough one.
1: That's a tough one. And, And to hold on to it. Like, yes, I don't know either. But there is no other way. I have to follow a path that is not paved yet. Which leads to being. Which leads to that you can listen to your parents' advices, but don't necessarily follow them. Because you can see it as an expression of their love and their um, connection to you. And that you can see that other people in in your network are becoming a millionaire and you are not and you are completely happy with that. Mm. But that's a path that takes a few
0: years. Yeah. So the most visible way to to notice it is when people change their job. Are there other ways that you can notice it?
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, the part that we usually do not see, uh, because it's an internal process, is that uh, when you loosen yourself of all the expectations that your parents, your network and society put up on you, and can really honestly talk to yourself about what makes me happy. Um, then a lot of people uh, find out that they don't really know themselves
2: mm.
1: because they are built. Or, uh, so you have, like if I put it in a more visual, you have that little soul and around it during the years, you have everybody has built a lot of identities, yeah, the identity of the ideal son or daughter, the identity of well, whatever you do for work, the nice friends, the one that you drink with, the one that you stay well, well, whatever. And uh, when all those identities, uh, uh, all those identities, are in the doing part, uh-huh. so if you stop that. You encounter something like, I call it the soul, but any other word is fine with me, that you don't really know yet. And uh, for me, it's it's essential to go through the doing part
2: mm-hmm. because
1: you have to learn what identities are before you can get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. But when you when you do get rid of them. Uh, you kind of lose your self view a little bit, and that's all that's the process that I really love to guide. That people say, I don't mm-hmm. know who I am, I don't know where I'm going. Um, how, but I'm going,
0: yeah. And in Buddhism, I think they call this doing phase uh samsara, mm-hmm. and then at some point people go within and, and try to find nirvana but is that do I say that correct or, or how how do you feel this?
1: Yeah I I'm, I'm I'm not a Buddhist so uh, <laughs> I hope that I I I understand it right yeah it's so tempting to say oh yeah sure um uh you could I, I well I, I think you could say that if you find your being Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of an enlightenment
0: yeah okay <laughs> but you're not a you're not a buddhist so what um for what uh, uh, traditions uh have you uh, found inspiration for your or for your own work i know you've worked with m- multiple traditions but can you share a bit about those yes
1: um well originally i started with the academic ones and um which was because i was in my doing phase myself was expected that if you have this IQ, that you go to university. And um,
0: Ready to university, in which city?
1: In Amsterdam.
0: Ah, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, okay. Yeah, yeah so know.
1: that's how I got in Amsterdam, actually, because yeah. I was raised in a village. And uh, I was like, okay, now I'm ready for the big city. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember those first months that I was like, how the hell do people live here? Yeah. But I got used to it and stayed for 40 years. Anyway, um, um, and when I realized that what I was doing as a lawyer was uh, becoming a trick, yeah, or like, yeah, it wasn't really m- motivating me anymore, uh, uh, the first course that I did was one in belief management, which was really cool in the 90s
2: mm-hmm.
1: and everybody did belief management so it was uh, uh, avatar or uh, landmark or uh, and it was another one uh, I, I was flattercasted when when i did that course that so for instance uh, there was a question and they said how what's your size and I said, yeah, I'm one meter, nine, 79 centimeters. And they asked me, is that true? I
2: was <laughs> like,
1: how do you mean, is that true?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course that's true. <laughs> and uh, uh, And then they said, does it help you to believe that? And I was like, believe? It's just a fact, right? <laughs> so I didn't get that question either. And then they said, is this proof imposed upon you or did you choose it from free will Ah. and then I got something like yeah everybody said I was 179 so I accepted that I didn't really even measure it myself I just accepted Uh it (laughs) and I also didn't realize that there were other metric systems yeah in which you could say inches and feet and whatever so that really broadened my mind that was my first step and, uh, and then uh, that opened uh, a period of about five years that I tried everything. Because once I realized how much there was outside of the paradigms that I had been living in, I wanted to know it all. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to angels and, well, whatever. I <laughs> wasn't available. <laughs> I was there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you dove into the world all... of mystery.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't put that on LinkedIn, of course, because in the meantime, I was working as an executive coach and uh, doing things in business. So I was like, "Ah, yeah, that's private. Which also, by the way, is an answer on uh, what do you see in that stage from doing to being? Like it was, especially in those days, it wasn't normal to share something about that personal process.
0: No, that's not done.
1: No, when I was talking to a bank and I used the word spiritual, they were like, "Uh uh-uh, she's out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's out. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) So you were very, very... um, Careful. um, ...cautious. Very cautious that you didn't use the wrong words, etc. Okay, and when I found my own uh, uh, being, uh, that also made me realize that one of the most important things in my own life is that I would never... So my dogma is not to become dogmatic.
0: Okay, <laughs> that's a good one. And,
1: and that I had to, to uh, be educated as broad as I could. So I did study some... Uh, uh, so I was raised Christian, so I did study some uh, Buddhism and Judaism and Islam and whatever... Uh, to find out about um, uh, a lifestyle with an image of a a god. Mm -hmm. Uh, I realized it wasn't really my type of life, Uh, although studying it really made me respect it. So it really improved the connection with people who did. And... um, uh, and then one day, that is fu- that's a funny story. Um, I was having a meeting with some people from Kula in the in Amsterdam in that mm-hmm. in that building where we always had those dinners, and uh, and then one of them, uh, Gertjan, he said uh, he was in the in the basement and he said it smells like people have been hiding here in a war, mm. and I was like. That's an interesting observation. Uh, well, long story short, another one said, oh, but then if that's if, if that's the case, you might need to call this and that person. Mm-hmm. Which I did. Like, okay, that's fine. And then it appeared that that lady, she's called Hanako, um, that she was a Jomancer. And that opened a completely new field to me. Uh, because uh, she looked not only at what was going on in people, like in their minds and in their bodies, and, well, if you want, in in, with their ancestors, if you do constellations, you also work with ancestors. Um, But she also looked at how the ground influences you. And she found exactly what that guy that was having a meeting with me... um, uh, how that feeling was caused, and it was so intriguing to me that I that that was the point that I decided to to do an intense study on Taoism as well.
0: Uh, and how many years ago was it in Taoism?
1: That, that's about ten years ago now.
0: Ten years ago, and what's the name you mentioned? Geometry. Yeah, geomancy. Geomancy. It's part of, yeah. Geomancy is part of Taoism, right?
1: Yes. Because uh, well, actually, geoman- geomancy is the method with which you uh, neutralize energetic imprints in the ground under your feet.
0: Yeah, and then energetic imprints based on on history, uh, for instance, yeah. war or uh, yeah, and yeah, and, and I think do- many
1: people can relate to that because um, people that have been to Verdun, where uh, where about. A million people lost their lives uh, in one battle yeah. in the First World War. You can still feel it. Yeah. I would never sleep in that area. No. Yeah. Or um, uh, sometimes you come in a house and it feels spooky or creepy or absolutely at home that, uh, that you just, you see the house and you say, oh, I want to buy that one because it feels mm. good. So it's and that it- feeling that is related to things in the ground.
0: And how do you apply this now in your own work, the geomancy? Um,
1: Well, I still work as an executive coach. uh, And um, uh, most times when people come to me, they think that their problem is in their head. Sometimes they have a physical complaint as well. But most times it's something in their head. And what I do is I analyze with them If it's really in the head, or in the body, or in the family, or in the ancestors, or in the ground. Mm. Because if the problem is in the ground, it doesn't matter what what tricks I do with your mind. Nothing will change. And I really like results. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm not going to uh, to do uh, something with the mind if I know that it will not lead to
0: results. Yeah, I see. So there can be a problem, but it can also be based on the physical place where someone uh, someone yeah. lives. Yeah. And if you detect that it's a problem in the physical place, what can you then do uh, to change it? Or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so uh, when something is physical, it can either be like an energetic imprint yeah, that you can solve with... Well, the uh, the, uh, the method that I really like to do is, is, is called Nutracon, mm-hmm. And um, that's, it's a, like a combination of regression therapy and a sniff of NLP. Okay. Yeah, so you, you go to back to another life to personally, I don't care which life it is, if it's yours or somebody else, as long as you have an experience. And, uh, and there you realize what where the problem comes from, mm-hmm. and then we rescript that, so that it doesn't bother you anymore. Uh, so that's one that I really like with the with the body. Sometimes people already so so Nutricon is still when the when the effects of trauma are just energetic,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: sometimes it has already become like a disease, that people have really physical complaints, and that's not like like a little muscle pain, but they have a disease, or um, they feel completely out of energy, etc. And for that one, we have I, uh, I studied. That's called body organ rejuvenation, mm-hmm. and that's how how you uh, remove trauma from the body uh, using the uh, symptoms that. The disease gives you
0: Hmm. so such as what what types of systems symptoms
1: um well for instance i had a lady and uh, she came to me and she said i think i'm close to burnout and uh, i said i wouldn't talk about other people but okay i hope she agrees and she was close to burnout and uh, and she said i have a frozen shoulder And uh, that takes a year and uh, I cannot move it. Ah, So she told the whole story. But then when I did that full analysis with her uh, and I told her, like, okay, we can we can also look at this from another perspective. We we found out that in uh, a past life, her whole arm was cut off. And Mm. somehow she still felt that
0: ah she still still could feel it and then you can rescript it
1: yeah so if you rescript that like okay i was a, i make it a little bit simple here because otherwise we are talking until midnight okay but uh, uh, but but simply said we rescripted it from oh my arm was cut off to i went to war but i came home safely
0: ah so it's a different story and then it's a different belief for yeah, or...
1: yeah. And, and and so then you could say that that you removed a root cause. Yeah. It doesn't say that after an hour she leaves my practice and she doesn't have a frozen shoulder anymore. But mm. after three weeks it was gone.
0: Wow. So because the root cause has been rescripted. Yeah. That's uh that's beautiful. And um if you look at trauma, what is your view on, on trauma in our society and, and previous generations? What's your view on that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I remember when I did my first education in uh, constellations, I was really surprised. Like, how could my parents influence my behavior, or how could my grandparents influence my behavior? I mm-hmm. thought it was really weird. And uh, and then, so we were working with represent uh, re- representation and. And somebody stood on the spot of my grandmother and she just started talking as my grandmother. Wow. Yeah. Well, I thought I was in, I thought it was a trick. I couldn't really get it. But when I kept working with it, I realized it opened that although after, so I've been working with constellations for about 20 years now. I always see that it works and I never get why. So that shifts your 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 own uh, thinking like yeah. okay maybe I just don't get it but it works so we use it.
0: I can imagine I've also done one cancellation and it brought me a lot but it's not easy to explain why right so yeah. so then you kind of let go of the why but you just feel that it works.
1: Yeah. And so sometimes when people say, well, I oh, yeah, I did a constellation, and I, 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 they say I need a constellation, but I don't really get it. And I say, after 20 years, I don't still get it either. But it works. Yeah. And then, when, when, so when I was studying Taoism, uh, I, uh, I got to know a Chinese grandmaster who was willing to educate me further. And he really laughed when I talked about constellations. Because he said, so you only work with six generations? I said, yeah, yeah that's quite a lot because you don't know them, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and he said, yeah, but, but your soul might be a few year, a million years old. So wouldn't it be fun to work with a few thousand generations instead? So then my paradigm was shifted again. Like, okay, still focusing on the last bits, but not on the big picture. And and that's what I really like to do in coaching. So it doesn't mean that we, that I need twenty thousand people to represent the previous generations, mm-hmm. but to broaden, um, to to broaden the view of my coaches, mm-hmm. that that a problem might be going on for thousands, ten thousands of years. Yeah. So not every problem is for you to solve completely. No.
0: And sometimes I sometimes like
1: it's yeah. It's about I like making progress.
0: If it's uh, if the past two generations can be relevant then of course if you multiply that it, it can keep going. And can you give one example how a family constellation helped someone with processing trauma? Yes. Um
1: I think it's best to use one of my own experience because I think that doing constellations is is quite an intimate process in a way. Yes. So so I wouldn't really like it if if I heard somebody talking about me in a podcast.
0: Yeah <laughs> without me knowing it. <laughs> I can imagine. So maybe tell tell your own experience.
1: So that frozen shoulder uh uh, uh example was okay, but I think if you do a family constellation, that is even further. Yeah. And so let me take an example from my own uh, life. Is um, I considered my father to be not too present, mm-hmm. which was normal in my generation because my father worked. My mother was at home when I was a small a little girl. Uh, but my father also worked abroad quite a lot. So he was out for two, three or six weeks and then came back for a few days and then he left again and so i was very used to my mother arranging everything um but i am i am quite temper uh, tempered and Mm -hmm. so is my mother Uh, uh which was really cool by but that's another story so let's stick to this one in a constellation i started with my father was not too present And when I brought him into the constellation, I saw, oh, he was very present, but not in the way my mother was, because Mm. my mother is is very present and talkative and and very outgoing and extrovert. And my father is more looking at things, uh, more philosophical. Uh, more going his own way and 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 it was due to the constellation that i saw one why they have such a good marriage because actually my father balances my mother mm-hmm. and two that if i would let go of the standard view that i had of my father that i actually had two great parents mm. And uh, it learned me to balance my own qualities really well. And that uh, was just in, in maybe an hour.
0: I see, because you were comparing your father and your mother and then one seemed less present, but yeah. then you actually saw like maybe he was present and then yeah. it helped you to, to balance your qualities. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a beautiful example. Why is it that so so many people are skeptical still about constellations that's also an interesting question to me
1: yeah uh because uh well actually that that's a very big question because i think that is because um in the beginning of this talk we were talking about doing and being mm-hmm. and if you are in the doing mode uh the mind wants wants to understand what you are doing Yes <laughs> yeah and with the constellation that's about being so you yeah. can't you can't, you can't grasp it with your mind you can just look at the result and say yeah that brings me new insights I'm happy
0: yeah but you cannot you cannot grasp it with your mind
1: no because so so suppose that we are in a constellation and you represent my father and suddenly, out of the blue, you start talking just like my father. <laughs> well, my academic mind is losing
2: you. Eh? Yeah.
1: So of course, I think that teacher—he knows about me. He traced me on Facebook, Insta, whatever. Found a picture of my father. Instructed you how to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and that's how it works. And all those trainers keep saying, "No, no, no! I didn't trace that." <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 a a difficulty but I think that that mind uh, wants all that explanation uh, because we are so much driven to to doing but also by doing to evidence-based handling Mm
2: -hmm.
1: evidence-based living because if you know what's coming if you can explain what's coming then everybody gets rest yeah yeah, but that's that's not true.
0: No, it's maybe a perception of uh, truth. So evidence-based living means you you have evidence that something will work or what does it mean exactly?
1: So evidence-based living is that um, that you become a manager in IT because you graduated in economics. <laughs> yeah? All guys who studied economics are great IT managers, like that. Huh? And we did a scientific study on that. It really works out. The education fits the job. So you should fit that job as well. Mm. So we want to prove that we are right. And that we prove it uh, by uh, analysis, by um, just uh, by trying it, by trial and error. And if the group that we tried it with is big enough, then we say it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- I have to think of an maybe that's a weird example, but in in, uh, in the Netherlands you have a painkiller. It's called paracetamol. hmm It's 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 just after aspirin, right? Yes. Everybody says this works. When I have a headache, I take an aspirin. When I have tooth, I have an... Then, a few years ago, I saw a really, really cool uh, guy. And he said, but we don't have proof that it works. We don't know why it works. I said, but that's what I always say with constellations. So, <laughs> <but> so, <laughs> so why is it a problem with constellations? And with, with this painkiller, we say, yeah, but so many people uh, benefit from this. It must be true. It must be true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it is interesting, right? Yeah. But what I get out of this conversation is that um, the mind can't grasp everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But a lot of people experience positive results from it. But if mm-hmm. you have never tried it, maybe if you can't grasp it with the mind, then people have resistance. And um, we were talking about trauma, and before we started this podcast, you mentioned that everyone now feels they deserve a right on trauma, mm-hmm. whereas maybe in the past you're only considered uh, traumatic if you've been into maybe a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. So, can you share your view on these developments? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
1: so when when I was a, a kid. Uh, uh, we should, We were the lucky ones because we were born after the war mm-hmm. and uh, uh, my parents were born at the beginning at the start of the uh, second world war so we can't say that they fought in the war or whatever but they, they definitely felt the effects and although they did not really say it I felt that I had to be grateful for living in a peaceful country.
2: Mm.
1: Um, uh, so much of that was related to that. Like so I didn't like to do this, but of course that was that was penis com- compared to having to go to war. Mm. Um, so that's uh that that's one. But and next to that there were I think in hindsight, I think there were a lot of people in big trouble, but it was uh, much more internally. And the view on trauma was quite uh, narrow. Mm. And so people were in uh, psychiatric clinics and you never heard about them anymore or they were filled up with bromium and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: But... But it was also, so that was a special situation. If I look uh, now, so we're going to 2023, uh, I think nine out of the ten people that come to me say that they have a trauma.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Big difference.
1: Big difference. Um, and I think that's that's one, because we are opening up on having that. Uh but also, um, and that, okay, now I'm going to say something that I really cannot prove. Okay. <laughs> I also think that that it's kind of exploding because we are one of the last generations. Uh, uh, so uh, not me, but so the generation after me is one of the last generations that has to work on all this old stuff because I what really do you mean f- with
0: old stuff uh,
1: like old, like traumas. Hmm. So uh, um, and when we in the last 40, 50 years, uh, as a planetary society, we really broadened our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And in that broadening, all those traumas came up. So everything has to be solved. Yeah. yeah. And then one day, you're just done with it.
0: <laughs> so in a few generations, we're done, maybe.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I really expect that.
0: That's a beautiful way of looking at it. And the fact that so in the past, trauma was associated with people that are in psychiatric clinics. So it's also maybe taboo. So maybe for our parent generation, if you say you have trauma, they don't like it because then they feel you have to go to a clinic.
2: Mm-hmm. But do
0: you think it's a positive thing that now nine out of 10 people come to you to think you have a trauma? Or do you feel we are exaggerating with our generation?
1: I must admit that sometimes it's tempting to think that somebody is exaggerating. Mm. Um, But that's only because I was raised with another idea about trauma. And so sometimes that little girl in me comes up and says, well, if that's a trauma, well, I have a few ones as well. But I do know (laughs) that that's not the most helping way of looking at people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So especially uh, when they say something that doesn't sound that traumatic to me, I took the attitude that I'm really interested in finding out how this works for that person. Because actually, a trauma is not what happened, but it's the response on what happened. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So anything can be really big trouble. Like like I I once had a, a young boy that I spoke to, And uh, this is not in in my practice, it's just in private. And I said, can you tell me what the worst thing is that happened to you in your life? Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: he said, yeah, I wanted a dog for my birthday and I didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) So if that guy grows up and he encounters difficulties in life, or maybe he lives on a ground that doesn't really feed him. He might come to a coach or a psychologist saying, yeah, I need treatment because I didn't get a dog when I got six. (laughs) Right. As a psychologist, you might think, Hmm, that's an interesting trauma.
2: Yeah.
1: But to him, it was the worst, worst thing that happened. And, and I think that you really have to explore why uh, he responded traumatic on that situation.
0: Yeah, I see. So it's tempting to say that our generation sometimes is exaggerating. At the same time from your role as, mm-hmm. a, as a coach, as a guide, you always are looking how you can best help that person. I think it yeah. makes a lot of, uh, lot of sense.
1: Yeah, because um, I'm really happy that they treat it that they don't stick yeah. with it and that they are not silent about it, like like the generation of my parents.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that uh, um, I do see, you know, with the School of Life and uh, books written on emotional intelligence, of course, we have also a different uh, reference point that there's so much information around it. And nowadays, it's also a bit of a status symbol. When you have a coach or a therapist, it's considered positive often. hmm Whereas maybe in the past it was, was maybe different. Another yeah. topic that you wanted to talk about, um, Ola, before we move to the topic of money and love, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to share around uh, trauma?
1: Yes. When you said that last sentence, eh, that you that your generation or the generation after you might be exaggerating... Um and maybe that's a good bridge to the next topic as well is that I really felt compassion mm-hmm. uh, because I think there's a lot of you on your shoulders when you when when you get so conscious that you can work on those traumas uh, which apparently has not been handled by the ten thousand generations that were here before you
0: yeah yeah
1: um so, Although, as, as I said, it's sometimes tempting to say, oh, Whoa, is that your problem? I also really appreciate it. I really, I'm really grateful that so many people are working on it because I think that that's, in the end, the big step to the transformation that I'm looking forward
0: to. Yeah, so it is indeed a good thing that people are consciously working with their traumas. And uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a good um, thing yeah, to add. And-
1: And I think it's important that they realize it's not always personal. So you might be handling a trauma on behalf of a family or on behalf of the grounds that you live on or on behalf of the brother that was never born or whatever. So take it serious, but not always personal.
0: Yeah, take it serious, but not always personal. Is that also your recipe for life? Because in the Saw Kitchen, um, I ask uh, people to share the recipe uh, for life. So, yeah. what is yours?
1: Yeah, my recipe for life is um, uh, Aroa Mai, Aroa Atu.
0: Aroa Mai, Aroa Atu. What language is that?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's Tereo, uh, which is the language of the Maori people living in New Zealand. Okay. And it means if you give love, you will always get love.
0: If you give love, you will always get love. What a beautiful piece of wisdom. And who taught you? I mean, it's the the people in New Zealand, but is there a specific person that taught you it?
1: Yeah, that's a nice story as well. Okay, there we go. So it's (laughs) 2017. And so I I have been to New Zealand quite often uh, because my best friend lives there. And when I was there for the first time, it appeared that I had a interesting connection with the maori people um so to me it feels kind of magic to be there i i completely understand that lord of the rings was produced in that country mm-hmm. and then uh, um and then uh, uh my husband and i so we decided to marry we both had been married before so we were not really, really like we need a big party so we thought if we go to new Zealand. It might be quite a small party, which is really cool. And uh, so we went there and uh, we were talking to uh, the the celebrant. And uh, and she said, yeah, I heard that you don't do rings. I said, no, we don't do rings because my husband is a a medical doctor. So he's not allowed to wear a ring. And uh, I said, so I want some kind of statue. Uh, that represents our love, mm-hmm. and then she said, "Oh, but I heard, I heard that you are so connected to Maori people. Just around the corner lives one of my best friends, and she's a sculptor. So can you, you, you can, you can go there and ask her to make something for you." So that's what we did, and then she gave us a huge uh, stone, and with those words on it: Aroa Mai, Aroa Atu.
0: Oh wow! what a beautiful uh, uh beautiful personal story and I remember that you've been to new zealand uh often, so I like that you share this recipe and um related to this recipe so the more what is the more love you give, the more you receive or when you give love, you receive love right yeah, yeah. so it starts with giving yeah
1: and you don't always get it from the people or the trees or birds or whatever you give love to, uh, that you gave it to. So Uh, I think it's a big circle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So don't don't expect it immediately back also.
1: No. No, because I think if you expect it back, and like suppose that I would say to my husband, I love you, so you have to love me. (laughs) Yeah. Then we end up in some kind of transaction model, which is exactly what love not is about.
0: Yeah. So it's about unconditional.
1: No, I just love him. And of course he does awful things sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But I just love him.
0: But that's about love being unconditional, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think unconditional love can also be given to the people around you. So not like in a relationship, but just the people around you. Uh, with uh, a gentle gesture in the supermarket can also be unconditional love
0: yeah
1: like i remember that that when i started uh, with my um gratefulness exercises Mm -hmm. about 10 years ago 12 15 years ago i started with a friend that every day we share three things that we are grateful for and that in the in in the beginning that meant that i also had to create things to be grateful for Mm. and then so i was driving my car and i saw somebody who wanted to pass the road and i thought okay i let him go first because then i have something to be happy about or grateful for Mm. but that's transaction that's i give it and i expect something back yeah and i think like like real love is giving without expecting anything And then you get loaded.
0: I think that's a beautiful uh, piece of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you have a certain theory around the relationship between money and love. Because Mm -hmm. your life recipes are around love. So what's your view on money versus love?
1: Yeah. I think the more uh, more we monetize everything in this world, the less love is
0: given can you elaborate what what you mean
1: well um, a few months ago there was a a Dutch economist and um, she's quite famous uh, and she said um, yeah we have to um we have to monetize uh, the love of a mother because now that's out of the economy so it doesn't count.
0: Mm, that's quite extreme.
1: And I was like, is she, is she kidding us? But she was really serious. On the other hand, so suppose that you, that you monetize a mother's love. Eh? And suppose, Jasper, that your mother would say when you've, you've, okay, so your mother took care of you all day Uh, Your father comes home, uh, asks your mother, how are you? And she said, yeah, I'm really happy because Jasper had so much trouble. I earned 300 euros today Mm. because I had to really work hard with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's not funny. (laughs)
2: That's
1: terrible. So then then the money comes on the position where love should be. And that's why love diminishes if we express everything in terms of money.
0: And Do you feel at some point we will shift this? Because we've been very money-focused, especially in the uh, 20th century and also recently. Uh, But um, do you see an end of this monetary system or monetary focus?
1: Yeah, well, I think that the monetary system is intrinsically already uh, bankrupt
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that we are keeping up appearances. That's why we need more and more and more.
0: Yeah. So how can you contribute as an individual to changing this? Is it about shifting your life, shifting your focus or let's say an individual is listening, how can you contribute to it?
1: Well, I cannot. I cannot ask of anybody to live like me. But uh, because that, that would be really presumptuous. But what really helps me is to, to live as harmonious as I can. And so I'm not the Holy Mother, eh? let that be clear. But <laughs> I live as harmonious as I can, and I deliberately give my love and attention uh, to people. Somehow I make money with that, because people are happy to pay an invoice, that's fine. But that's not what I work for. That's all mm-hmm. I work. gives that, that, um, that love. And what it made me realize is that although I can really enjoy money, I can really enjoy um, what what you can do with money. Uh, but. The more I live in that love state, the less money I need.
0: Mm, that's beautifully said. So the more you live in that love state, the less money you need. It's a different way of looking at it, right? So instead of focusing money, you focus on, on, on love. And um, talking about love, we talked already about moving from doing to being. hmm what are steps that you can take to move from conditional love to unconditional love in your life, in your relationships, in your work?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: well, I, um, I think it's always hard to give a recipe because um, I don't want people to do the love thing because I said so. <laughs> but what really helps for me is so about 10 15 years ago i started with that gratefulness exercise Mm -hmm. so every night before going to bed i share with one friend three things that i'm grateful for that day always no matter what and she does the same Um, so that shifts something in your consciousness also because you read what somebody else is grateful for So I think that, that, to me, that was a huge uh, step. Uh, My second step was that when I was a little younger, (laughs) I thought I could create world peace or something, uh, which appeared to be a really frustrating job. Uh, And now I focus on completely harmonizing my universe. So... I harmonize, I create peace in the area that I can influence Mm. and not in any other circle that I cannot influence because one, it would mean that I have a recipe and two uh, that would imply that you are imposing something on somebody else and imposing is exactly why things always go wrong in this world (laughs) <laughs>
0: so you focus and, on creating harmony in your own environment. Yeah,
1: yeah. and then the third one, uh, and that's my most recent one that I really <laughs> like <laughs> is um, so so what I noticed is that life is becoming more and more uh, simple. And um, uh, I was I was making a new website because somehow I had the inspiration to share my uh, thoughts a little bit more. And, uh, and then somebody said, yeah, maybe it's time to share a mission. And I always was like, mission, mission. I don't like that word at all. Um, but I handled that resistance. And then um, uh, I came up with this one. Uh, my mission is to make a million people smile every day.
0: Oh, wow. A million people smile every day?
1: Yeah. And whether it's by my coaching or my land clearing or any other method, or by the stories that I share, to me, that person is one in a million.
0: <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> one in a million. So you make the connection between one individual and a million. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful mission. I um. I have another question around uh, people and their dreams. Mm -hmm. So earlier this conversation, we talked about Kula, uh, this community that we both have been uh, facilitating. We've organized dinners for possibly a few hundred people Mm -hmm. um, over a few years. And these people shared their dreams. Of course, it's a specific group of people. It's, let's say, talented young people in Amsterdam. I know it's not represented for the entire world. But from all those hundred people and these dinners and the dreams they shared and the fears they had, what is kind of your takeaway around dreams and fears and and stepping into dream realization?
1: Well, I think, first of all, Kula, uh, uh, as a name, was already not too much about money. It was about attention for other people. Yeah. And uh so that already helped and because that vibe was in it. Yeah. We yeah. really loved to facilitate those dinners. We had so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and oh when I think of you and me carrying another table or whatever and we just did it because it made us happy. Yeah. Um and uh I think that uh really cool part of that community is the the vulnerability that of course you have dreams and of course you doubt and admitting the doubt is what makes you stronger because everybody can have a dream that's easy yeah Yeah, but if you are silent about the trouble around those that dream uh, then things are getting more difficult and I remember one facilitator that was a really fun night because then we had a group and they were not too open about their issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so we made a round and it was a real success story. And I thought, what are you doing here if you don't need any help? And But I wasn't a facilitator, so I was just keeping quiet. Mm-hmm. And then he said... Um, okay, so am I correct that nobody in this room needs help? Ah, it was correct. And he said, and who would like to help somebody else? And then everybody raised his hand. Mm. And then he said, is somebody willing to create an issue that somebody else in this room can solve because it will make him happy? (laughs) 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 An issue needed to be created. (laughs) And just that question made that everybody was like okay well if if it makes you happy i can tell you something that is actually bothering me it's i don't have to make it up but if it makes you happy to hear about it so it turned into a fantastic night that was that was so vulnerable and there was such a such a magic offers for people with the stuff that they brought up that was really
0: cool that's so cool well i i it's one of the most inspiring things I've done, uh, Kula. Uh, maybe at the time I didn't realize it, but if I look at it in hindsight, you know the fun we had, but also the impact that people could step into their dreams—it was beautiful. Yep. And um, another initiative you had, and, but you uh, know what
1: I suddenly have to think about? No, that maybe that's nice in, in, in relation to this to, to what I just said. Is that uh, that story that, that? So at Kula, we always said just tell it eh, what your dream is don't make it smaller than it really is and there was a guy and he said um uh how do you call that that rocket thing um space mm-hmm.
0: uh rocket ship
1: uh yeah, I like a rocket ship so he said i want to have a rocket ship as my uh, as an office <laughs> yeah. and uh and a few people were like Okay, that's that's really interesting. And then there was a guy, and he said, "Oh yeah, but my neighbor works for NASA. We can maybe we can have a chat."
0: Yeah, we can have a chat. It made it real, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then I thought, okay, if you if if you feel so safe and vulnerable, which uh, was what happened in Kula, that you can share that you're that your boy's dream is to have an office like a space rocket and you get this offer.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And that was amazing. I remember that. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Then. Yeah. Then you can't be anything else than completely happy.
0: uh, That's, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. Before we close the conversation, because I think at some point it's time uh, for dinner for you. So, um, is there anything else that you would like to uh, uh, share with the listener? Any topic that we still haven't talked about? Mm. Well, I think that
2: we that
1: we shared quite a lot already.
0: I think Didn't we shared we? a lot. I think we shared yeah. a lot already. I think it was a beautiful conversation. Maybe, um
1: and maybe maybe if it appears later on that we that we uh, didn't touch a topic that people really want to hear about maybe they can react somewhere and we can decide whether we do something else or yeah uh, respond in pr- uh, privately uh, to questions yeah. that's all possible
0: yeah so uh, a practical question I always like to connect people say people want to work with you Um, what are your current uh, offerings? I know in the past you had coaching, but sometimes you also had events. So update me and the listener on your current offerings.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So, of course, if people have a coaching question, they can always call me uh, or or email me or whatever. Uh, I work both online as uh, offline. I have an office in Groningen, which is a really cool city uh, in the Netherlands. So that's one. Um, in my coaching, all the topics that we discussed on the when we talked about trauma is included. Um, if you heard that we that I talked about, it might be the bounds that you live upon that that cause some uh, cause difficulties in your life. Get in touch um, on my website getinplace.nl uh on clearing there is a um, uh, you can schedule an appointment for 30 minutes and we can and we can discuss if that's something that would help you. And uh, the third thing that I really really enjoy to do is uh, I write stories and um, uh, it appears that when I talk to people for about an hour and I write a story about, my view on their being, instead of their doing, to keep that word in, uh, in mind, is amazing. And uh, many people uh, have told me in the meantime that they, they kept the story for years as a guidance and, and a source of inspiration. Uh, so I write them both for persons sometimes I write them for organizations instead of uh, a mission and um, I really really enjoy to do it so if somebody says oh that's what I like let me know
0: wow thank you for uh sharing your uh, your current offerings and thank you for your time and your wisdom I truly enjoyed catching up with you after so many years. It and was thanks a very- to everyone. <laughs>
1: Really great to see you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everyone for, for listening. See you next time.